0: Thank you, Dave, thank you, team, and uh, find your Bibles, 1 John 3, just three verses, Uh, just a word about John. He was Jesus' best friend when Jesus was on uh, this planet. He and John, um, John is the one who made it to the cross. Keep in mind, uh, John is the oldest apostle in the sense of uh, living past the life of Jesus, And here he writes about being God's children. There's something powerful about belonging. There's something that is so important about being part of something. No one wants not to be chosen. Uh, Maybe uh, you think back on your elementary days. uh, If you weren't very athletic, you were the last one chosen for the infamous kickball game. Nobody wants to be that guy. Belonging is a basic human need. American Express built a massive ad campaign on membership has its privileges. Back in the day, um, if you had enough money, this is when I was in high school, you wore a jacket which said, members only. And only the people who could afford those things wore them, but that's what it said. We all want to belong. And I'm convinced, I have no research on this, but I'm convinced that the place where people want to belong most is in a family. People want to be in a family, Everybody wants to be part of a place or a group that values them. And sometimes people do remarkable things to make others belong. And I think the most remarkable is adoption. And if you were to look at theology all the way through, what you would discover in the big sections of theology is that there is a salvation in its momentary sense that somebody comes to faith in Christ, but then there, is, there are these um, elements or these phases almost, if you will, of salvation that are broken out, justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. And this deals with the theology of belonging, of adoption. I want you to know something. I want you to feel something. I don't think you can feel it until you know it. And so this morning, we are going to drill down on one truth One simple truth. If you're taking notes, this is what you tuck away uh, in your mental notes or on a piece of paper. You are becoming who you already are. You are becoming who you already are. Now, this passage is written to followers of Jesus. This is not written to unbelievers. And the truths of today's sermon are for followers of Jesus. I just want to say to you this morning that if you do not know Christ, I want you to know him. I want you to follow him. I want you to belong to the family. These truths are for those who do. If you have come to faith in Jesus... If you have been born again, as Billy Graham preached for many years, if you have been saved, if you have trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are becoming who you already are. So that begs the question, who are you? Uh, First of all, you are loved. Look at this passage Behold what kind of love. Originally, if you looked at that one little word or this phrase, what kind of, it means of what country. John Stott has said, the Father's love is so unearthly, so foreign to this world, that John wonders from what country it may come What kind of love? This word always implies, if you look at it in the rest of Scripture, astonishment. The way we are loved by God ought to astonish us. Behold what kind of love, or see what kind of love the Father has given to us. We're just going to walk through the text. The word given It's best, I think, translated by the NIV, lavished upon us. It is a present perfect tense, meaning that it is a gift that happened at the moment of conversion, but it just keeps going, this lavish love. To shower upon. Look what kind of love It's foreign. It is incomprehensible. It is from another country. It is heavenly love. It is love unimpeded by sin. It is love that we cannot fully grasp. Behold or see what kind of love the Father has showered, lavished, poured out on us. You are loved. You and I must know that. We are loved. Secondly, you are named that we should be called or named. This is a picture of legitimization. By being named sons of God, the father acknowledges that this is indeed his son. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but for somebody to know your name means a lot, especially if that is somebody you value or somebody you respect. I remember this experience years ago. Years, years ago, probably now 15, 16 years ago, I went and met with a pretty powerful person in Asheville. I went and met with this person to seek money, not for grace, but for uh, 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 then Marion Christian Academy. And so I'm there, and I'm sitting down, I'm with Lincoln Walters, and we're there just to, uh, just to talk with this guy, and he knew my name like he start he he knew my name and i'm sitting there pretty impressed that this guy knew my name until i got ready to leave and when i did i noticed that he had written my name on his hand he had no clue who i was not a single clue i was like deflated um if you belong to christ you are named that we should be called. God gives you his name. I had the privilege of adopting our daughter, Hannah, and when I adopted her, her name changed to Hannah Elizabeth Lewis. I was thrilled to give her my name. When you come to God by faith in Christ, you get a new name. You are lavishly loved and graciously named. Children. John uses all of his words technically amazing here. Uh, there are two words that occur in the New Testament for children. This one means to beget. Why is it different? Because if you are begotten by God, it means you share in his nature. And that's why he adds the phrase, I've wondered about this for years, and so we are. Look how it reads. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. It connects back to the word children. We share the nature of God. Barclay says, by nature we become God's creatures. By grace we become his children. We share the nature of God. There's another place where Paul writes, but we have the mind of Christ. John goes on to say, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. When you come to God by faith in Christ, your uh, character begins to change. That sanctification. Who you are begins to change that the world, looking from the outside in, sees you. It goes, who is he? Who is she? What happened to him? What happened to her? Your values are different. Your words are different. Your habits are different. The way you think is different. John goes on to say in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. We're not waiting to be his kids. We are his children now. But look at this. And what we will be has not yet appeared. You are becoming who you already are. You are his children now, but what you will be has not yet appeared. We belong to him. We are called by his name. We we are loved. We are named. But if you're like me, in a given week, you appear to be more his kid at times than at others. We are becoming who we already are. I quoted this recently. It fits so perfectly here. Hang with me with this. I'm going to give the full quote. Don't think I've ever done that with C.S. Lewis's quote here. So I want you to track with me. Tune in, and if you have to zip back and look at it again to grab it all, feel free to do that at some point. But listen, he says it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, We are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Now think about this. He says nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, Marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Jesus never died for a civilization. Jesus did not die for the United States of America. Jesus did not die for die for your political party. He did not die. For any nation, he died for you. And one day, because you will live forever, and so will I, somewhere, you will either be so splendid, and could I pause here to say, some of you are watching who have lost someone so dear to you, If they were old, if they were very sick, I think it's pretty easy for you to envision them as so much better now than when you last saw them with your eyes. But if they were young and healthy and perhaps knew not a worry, maybe they were a child or maybe they were in their prime, it's hard for you and me to see them But could I say to you that one day when you see your son again, your daughter again, your mother, your brother, without the eyes of eternity, you wouldn't recognize them. They are so splendid, so beautiful, so remarkable. Neither would they you at that point. You and I are becoming who we already are. Look at this. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. To make manifest or visible or known what has been hidden or unknown. That's what the word appeared means. All right, so... Who we really are is hidden. It's hidden by life. It's hidden by sin. It's hidden by our flesh. It's hidden by this world. But look at the next little phrase, but we know. I told you I want you to know something. But we know. Don't forget what you already know, that when he appears. I think this is a play on words. I think if I remember to ask when I get to heaven and say, John, tell me about writing this. You're talking about Jesus appearing, right? Jesus, who is invisible to us right now, being known and visible. But you're also saying that we're invisible to us right now, who we really are going to be. Look at this. We shall be like him. That word like means to resemble in nature and condition. It's not a light word, We shall be like him, to resemble in nature and condition. So what kind of body will we have? I think the body we will have at the resurrection of Jesus will be one like his, the capacity to walk through a wall without opening a door, the capacity to be from here to there, just like that, like he was on the Emmaus Road and back in Jerusalem. Recognizable? Able to be seen. Think about Jesus' post resurrection body. That gives us insight, but think about his ministry too. Focused. Mary, don't cling to me. Gracious. He called her by name. Thomas, I know you're doubting. Touch my side. See, see, Thomas, Peter, who denied me three times, Jesus says, Peter, let's fish. Let's eat, let's talk, now go feed my sheep. Hundreds of you this week will meet in life groups. Built into your lesson is this question, be thinking about it now. How are we like Jesus now? How will we be more like him then? When you get into your life group this week, Go ahead. Some of you will be meeting today, tonight. You'll meet all week long. This is a question that's built into your lesson. How are we like Jesus now? How are you like him now? How will you be like him then? Look at this. And what we will be is not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. God sees us now as we will be. We will see him then as he has always been. I love that. God sees us now as we will be. We will see him then as he has always been. You see, we have limited vision here. Limited vision. I take these glasses off and everything gets blurry. Everything. I put them back on and things come into focus for me. I just have to have them. All of us need spiritual glasses. All of us cannot see well. All of us struggle to see, and we don't see one another as one another is. We don't see one another as God sees one another. If you and I could see each other through God's eyes, what vision that would be. And if we could see ourselves that way, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. As you look at him, as you look to him, you become more and more like him. The old, old chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You are loved. You are named. But this third one may surprise you. You are pure. That's what John says here. Look at this. Verse 3 And everyone who thus hopes in him, in Christ, purifies himself as he is pure. You are becoming who you already are. You are pure. What kind of purity is in thought here? Moral purity. We call this sanctification. Only adopted people can be sanctified. And sanctified means to be made more like Christ. The blood of Jesus has purified us from the penalty of sin. We are to play a part in purifying ourselves from its presence. How do we do that? We hope in Christ. We hope in Christ. We fix our eyes on him. We look to him. That's what the word here. What is hope for a Christian? Some of you are saying, wow, I hope the weather's pretty today. And the way the weather goes this time of year, that could happen or maybe it won't. But hope in the Bible is confident expectation. So I want to ask you something. And this is critically how this is applied. It connects to the life group question Are your eyes fixed on so many things that you can't, that, that Christ and all his ways, and what he's done for you and who he's made you has become quite blurry. I told you earlier that I adopted Hannah. And, um, and when she was little, I used to say this to her. And I am um, convinced that if we could hear God's audible voice, we would hear him say something similar to us. I would say to Hannah, Hannah. If all the girls in the whole world were on a stage and I had to pick all over again, I would choose you. And she'd look up at me, six years old, seven years old, eight years old, year After year. And she looked up up at me with her eyes. And what that said to her. I don't know of another way I could have said it. I just don't know of another way. It just said, I lavishly love you. December 28th. It's just her and me. Everybody has gone in front of us. My job is to walk her down the aisle and give her away. And I look at her, this beautiful young woman she has become. And I feel the same thing, but so different. Yesterday, when I prayed for her and Michael, feel the same thing. I wanted Hannah to know something, and I wanted her to feel it. And and God wants you to both know it and feel it. I have had the privilege to go to the courthouse on more than one occasion and to sit in a courtroom for what is a joyful day. It's when adoptive parents actually legally adopt their kids. I went looking because i remember sitting there the first time listening to what is officially read and i went looking and when i did here is what i discovered uh, this is what is read in the courtroom when a uh, a parent is adopted this is the official North Carolina, don't know about any other state. This is the only state I've been in. This is what is read. Now, therefore. Fifteen things come before the therefore. And once they get through the 15 things, it says this. Now, therefore. That from the date of the entry of this decree herein, the said minor is declared adopted for life by the petitioners. And that said child shall henceforth be known by the name of. I remember sitting there the first time listening to that and going, this is so what happens when people come to Jesus. When you came to Jesus, he adopted you for life. He adopted you for life and gave you a new name. The name is filled in, and the state registrar of vital records shall make a new birth certificate for said child. Two. That the decree of adoption affects a complete substitution of families for all legal purposes and establishes the relationship of parent and child together with all the rights, responsibilities, and duties between each petitioner and the individual being adopted. Three, that from the date of this decree of adoption, the adoptee, the child, is entitled to inherit real and personal property by, through, and from the adoptive parents in accordance with the statutes. And that this child has the same legal status, including all legal rights and obligations of any kind whatsoever, as a child born the legitimate child, of the adoptive parents. I sat there. I have sat there on more than one occasion and thought to myself, this is amazing. What is offered here is phenomenal. This child who before today, before today, was, for whatever reason, orphaned, parentless, is now entitled to every single thing mom and dad have, just like any of their biological children. That, my friends, is a picture of what this is about. That is who you already are. You're adopted into the family. There is nothing you can do that will undo God's love for you. So what I want to do is I want to give a simple invitation, a simple invitation to you this morning. That if you are listening, watching, and you have never, ever trusted Christ as your Savior, you have never been born again, whatever phrase you may have grown up hearing, you have never been saved, whatever that phrase may be, if you have never, this morning, you said, Jerry, I want to receive from God that kind of love. I want to be forgiven of my sins I want to be born again, if that is you, then I want to give you a simple prayer that you can pray to a God, to a father who loved you so much that he sent his only son so that Jesus could die for your sins, expand the family, and adopt sons and daughters. Simple prayer is this. Lord Jesus, I come to you today recognizing that I am a sinner in need of you To be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I am so sorry for all of them. I receive you as my Savior today. Come into my life. Take over. I want to be in God's family. If you have prayed that prayer this morning, in faith, in trust in Christ, let us know. As a new brother, as a new sister, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We want to help you know how to become who you already are. Father, thank you that your family is ever-growing that your love is wide, and it is deep, and that you welcome new sons and daughters every single day, every single hour around this world. Do it in this space today. Bring new sons and new daughters to come to know you, to walk with you, to feel your love, and to know your truth. Thank you for lavishing your love on us. Jesus, we pray this in your strong name. Amen. Reach out to us. Let us know uh, if God is at work in your life in this way. We'd love to know.